Suicide Zombies and Forgiveness, the podcast exploring the perspective of the suicide adjacent with your host, Elaine Lindsay. And it's really awesome to be here today with someone that I actually met in Clubhouse. This is Debbie Cameron. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me. Debbie Cameron is an incredible social entrepreneur. She's a philanthropist. She's absolutely amazing. And I have to say, we had this weird instant connection. I feel like I've known her forever. And it was really important to me to bring her on the podcast because some of the things I felt I knew we shared is exactly what this podcast is about. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Elaine. And you're absolutely right. When we met each other on the clubhouse and then we connected through Instagram because that's the only way that you can communicate or through Twitter at the moment, we instantly, it was almost like we're soulmates. We're, you know, we've been around this circle before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're you're saying circle and I, I'm going, yeah, um, not to get too woo-woo on some people, but my spiritual advisor says that souls travel in packs. Well, we are definitely from the same pack. So let's lay a little groundwork here. You, as I said, are a social entrepreneur. I think you're uh, incredibly forward thinking. I think, in fact, in a number of areas, you are a thought leader. I think what we want to do is maybe go back, give people sort of a quick synopsis where you came from, where you are now, and then we'll backtrack and get into that middle meaty bit. That's a really good question, Elaine, and I love great questions because where did I where did I come from? Um, and also being that thought leader too, because uh, I was the daughter of a thought leader. My dad was a legend in his own lifetime. <laughs> um, he's actually just above my head <laughs> in the picture behind me with my son with one of our racehorses. Uh, that actually won the race before the derby. I, But we only really remember the ones who actually won the derby, don't yeah. we? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> because he had my son with him there, who was just uh, off of boarding school that particular weekend, uh, and he took him and showed him how to gamble. I'm not sure if that is oh. such a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got to learn the good things in life. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, getting back to dad. So I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Um, in fact, it goes back further than dad. It goes back to 1908, when my wow. great grandmother lived on top of the, a bike shop in the East End of London. And she had 13 uh, children, my grandfather being the eldest of the 13. And oh. she used to put them all out to work. They used to um, build the bikes, the cycle, bicycles we're talking about now. Yeah. And, and then she used to, at lunchtime, have them up for lunch and play cards with them. So <laughs> she, whatever, they, whatever wages they got, she won it back at lunchtime. <laughs> now that's smart. She was a smart lady. I remember her very well. She lived way into her 90s and she used to look 
through her bifocal big magnifying glasses <laughs> with her bright blue eyes at, at me when I used to go up there. In fact, sometimes I was a little bit frightened. <laughs> she was an amazing lady because she actually brought the 13 children up on her own because uh, even though my great-grandfather didn't go out to war to fight for the um you know, in, in, in the army, he was actually one of those at home that took care of all the cycles of the army. So he, but, but he did pass away through illness and left her with 13 children to bring up. So, you know, we were around, brought up around very strong women and very entrepreneurial men. She also used to rent out all the, um, like Rolls Royces to all of the men that were coming over in the golden circle of mile mile in london with all the finances there wow. the financial land so and taken down to brighton for blackpool and places blackpool. like that the weekend yeah it, it was fun growing up as a child around a very entrepreneurial family and a very loving mother my mother was an incredible lady looked just like marilyn monroe kind of felt that I was brought up around this kind of very loving, caring, very entrepreneurial, but not academic family, because they all left school at 14. And I was eager to leave school. I was the youngest in my class and left at 15. Went off to college, didn't get any like further education than a year in secretarial and accountancy college. Wasn't really what I wanted to do, because I always had that entrepreneurial spirit of my father, because my other grandparents lived on top of one of my dad's shops, which was when he went into the scooter and motorbiking right. industry and right. then into cars. So basically, whatever the baby boomers wanted in those teens in the 1960s was where my dad was pioneering, pioneering with Vespa, Lambretta, yeah. customising them all, then into the car industry, right through the east end of London and Essex. So, yeah, so he ran... I think about 27 franchises, over 13 showrooms as a child, you know, without a mobile phone. I mean, how does that sound to the <laughs> kids of today that are just starting their businesses? I very quickly went into a merchant bank. So that was my first job. Realised I wasn't going to commute on the underground. That lasted three weeks. Got a local job for an international shipping company. And then dad wow. opened... Dad opened his 13th showroom more nearer to home. So I went in and took care of the accounting there for my father mm -hmm. till I got married as a teenager. I mean, I was a, you know, 19, late teenager. Yeah. Thought, this is great. You know, I can be a mum early. 19 got married. 21 had my first daughter. 22, my second daughter. And sadly, was in a relationship that one was too immature for both of us. I have to say that. Right. On reflection now, looking back all those years later, but very, very lucky for me. I got a, a six-week six week divorce and I came to live on the beautiful island of Mallorca at 24 years of age where my parents had a holiday home. They thought she'd get it out of her system. She'll be back soon. She'll be back within three months. <laughs> but there was no way this girl was giving it up because... I'd always had businesses on the side. I'd always had that gig on the side going on constantly. You know, I had my first direct selling business at 17. Um, I had my little Oriflame white bag and I used to go door knocking, you know, because watch, watching, yeah. those, watching those tills go cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching as a child, 
it was very easy for me um, to go out and 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 sell. You know, I, I was right. I, I was good at selling. I'd watched it all my life and been around it all my life, and yeah. good at, and good at marketing too. Traditional, you know, very different to where we've transitioned to today on social media, the internet, e-commerce, and you know, kind of like watched that over the years. But I have. Um, I'm in my fifth decade now of direct sales and marketing. Um, when I came here and landed here on the island, divorced with two little children, I started to cook food. <laughs> I thought, ah. oh, I have a fast food business. So I used, I had a fast food business running from home, making shepherd's pie, all the English dishes, because I mean, uh -huh. I'm going I'm going back 38 years now. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, met my second husband who was in the nightclub business. And so got into the nightclub business as well. From there, went into owning bars, restaurants. I even went into direct sales with uh, a company called Cabochon that sold costume jewellery. Yeah. I was working in and owning my own bars and working in clubs alongside my husband at that time, right. some, all of those years ago, that sadly ended up in divorce some 12 years ago it was a long roller coaster journey a 27 year relationship had another child so I had three children in total he was a fabulous father he was a fun father but there was a big big problem it was the big a on the island the uh, consumption of alcohol that then took me into really what this whole podcast is about yeah. and that is having that entrepreneurial spirit and having dreams and having visions, but not having a partner that wanted to take the same journey as me. And I kind of around about, oh gosh, I think it was nearly 19 years ago. In fact, it was 19 years, it will be 19 years this uh, November. I decided when my daughter's friend got killed in a car crash the day after in fact, a bar and restaurant I owned. I didn't own it at the time, but I did later. I walked in there and funny enough, I just repeated this conversation with, with some friends in the village. I just walked into the bar. My husband at the time had a glass of wine on the table. I picked it up. I took a swig and I went, I'll never drink again. It was through that tragedy and through trauma that I decided that my daughter could have been in that car there yeah. was just too much. There was life had become very vulgar with the the amount yeah. of drinking and you know multi million pound boats getting smashed up down the port where I live. I live on this paradisic island, and I just thought this is you know my kids are going to be getting married. They're going to be having children. Is this really what I want my grandchildren to see? Yeah. Yeah. And being the glam gran I am, I also didn't want to grow old in the way I was watching other people through the drinking, you know, like you, Elaine. I know you're an absolute glam gran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Glamma. Yes, we call it glamma. <laughs> Have signage and everything. So you're definitely part of that club. Absolutely. But yeah, it, it's true. Drink and, and other addictions do wear on you and age you very very quickly yeah very much so yeah i decided that was um near 19 wow. years ago
that took me on a very spiritual journey too. I had an epiphany, you know, and I felt that when I had this epiphany, I was in a bubble and I felt that God was all around me and I was being lifted up. It was really, I, I visited a church with my business partners in the United States of America. And this kind of all happened around the same period of time. I went into a church with my business partner, invited myself there. It wasn't like he, I never even, he just said he was going to church that afternoon. I said, can I come with you? As I sat there and I listened to some people sharing their testimonies and they kept talking about this Book of Mormon, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And it was like, you know, what is this book they keep talking about? You know, I'd always grown up with God in my life, yeah. always. My parents always said, God bless, you know, say your prayers. But we never went really to church. I went to Sunday school with my best friend when I was little. I kind of know Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the scriptures. You know, I knew that they all the stories because I love to tell a story. <laughs> And I love storytelling. In fact, English literature was one of my top su subjects at school. Ah, okay. I felt this kind of epiphany because I was ready to honestly back then get divorced. But I wasn't just thinking about divorcing my husband. I was actually thinking about divorcing my whole family and moving myself to America. I could fulfill my passion, my dream, which was working. I was a little bit of a workaholic, Elaine, to tell you the truth. I kind of felt that God had lifted me up and said, no, go home, bring your family back together, live a more spiritual life. That's where I found myself on this kind of real strong spiritual journey. And I've honestly never looked back. But sadly, the only spirit... <laughs> my ex wanted in his life was the alcohol spirit there was a real conflict because I sadly was married to an agnostic in the past it hadn't come sort of between us but subconsciously I suppose you know working in the fields of quantum physics today I, sub, my subconscious had always told me in that theta state of mind that you know, God is with me. God is with me. I've never forgotten that God is and has been always with me. You know, I remember at the funeral of my daughter's best friend, the first time I ever heard the poem or prayer, some people say it's a poem, some people say it's a prayer, anonymous, about foot, the footprints in the sand. Yes. You, yes. Know, you know, where were you, God, when there was only one footsteps in the sand? And that was when I was holding you my son or my daughter yeah and so I've always felt God being with me but that hasn't stopped me feeling the thoughts of the low self-esteem that I felt for myself when I was in that relationship um, with the alcohol because what happened on my journey was not only did my daughter lose her best friend because of drunken driving and drugs my own daughter lost her husband after seven months of marriage because of a tragic car crash where he was under the influence. I knew that uh, the pathway that I was on was the right path uh, because we were actually on a reconciliation holiday at that time, Elaine, when that happened, okay. where he was not going to drink for 10 days. 
on this reconciliation holiday after having counselling. And I'd by that time been in Al-Anon for friends and family of alcoholics for quite some years, very privately, you know, and I'm, I suppose I'm, this is public, you know, this is, yeah. sometimes people don't hear your story because you're just such a strong person and it's like you want to keep up appearances and you don't want other people to think badly of you or or, or whatever, you know. Or your partner. Or your partner. Yeah, very much looking out for him. Oh, absolutely. You know, he was on a pedestal and I felt that I'd put him there. I enabled a lot of what happened. I enabled a lot of what happened. Uh, It also had to be tough mentally because you had God and as an agnostic, he did not. And that has to sort of play with your head a little because it it leaves a very wide swath, a, a divide between a couple when, when there's no uh, religious coming together, no spiritual uh, agreement, if you will. I went in and out of Al-Anon quite a lot. I'm not a religious person as such, what I call religious. Um, I would say that I have a, a spiritual aura. Spirituality, yes. Yes, yeah. I I wouldn't say that I am and or a rigid, like, go out there and preach the gospel kind yeah. of person, yeah. you know. I'm just, that's just not me. It's not, it's not who I am, okay. But it doesn't mean I don't believe. Like, Absolutely. Uh, a high a very very high level you know that 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 he is my savior okay because he died for my sins (laughs) okay enabled me to keep lifting myself up again and I do believe because of that at the lowest times in my life when I had suicidal thoughts because I think that's what this whole podcast is about you know um during those times and that very first thought came to me through all of the coaching and training I did and being in Al-Anon but going to also AA meetings right. and and not finding a sponsor and not really following the rules of Al-Anon okay, okay. there was no Al-Anon meetings on the island back in the day no. uh, it was suggested that I went to some AA meetings where sometimes some of the men and or women of the partners were coming along too and then sitting chatting to each other just um, like Lois did when Bob started the AA program right so, island you know I live on yeah. this 600,000 people live on Mallorca 300,000 of them are in Palma but we had 11 million tourists come through the tier and it must be a struggle for a lot of people because it's a very, you know, party island. I decided that I was going to have a man as my sponsor in the program. And that's just not really what they say to you. Because I was a, I was a man's woman. You know, I yeah. grew up with one brother. I grew up in workshops. You know, if I went to see my nan, we went on top of her workshop. If I went to see my great-grandmother... We went on top of her workshops. You know, there was always yeah. the, the service area. And then right. I had family living on top of the shops. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> there was just men with grease on their hands from working hard. I just thought, well, I resonate. I can talk to men. Men understand me. I've grown all my businesses with my husband. You know, we've yes. grown a sizable co-founded direct sales business together. I felt that, well, I'll have a sponsor that's a man. And I'd already done a lot of training and coaching, become an NLP master practitioner and trainer, yeah. you know, to train practitioners uh, to do neurolinguistic programming. Dr. Richard Bandler, uh, John Laval, who put together Persuasion Engineering. He was one of the first Americans, I don't know if people know this, works closely with Richard. He was one of the first gentlemen that actually put together a program called Persuasion Engineering and taught taught the Americans how to sell cars. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. So I'd learned of some great people. Paul McKenna, it was through his training centre in London that I did all my uh, coaching oh. and certifications. I just, you know, there was always men. You know, I'd, I'd done the Tony Robbins journey. I'd done yeah. the Dr. journey, you know, and it was like, I had all these men that had been my coaches. So, okay, I'm going to have I'm going to have a man be my sponsor. Absolutely. But what I found one day while we were doing the program is he was anchoring things on me, my my sponsor, and he was a member of AA, not Al-Anon. He'd all, he'd got permission from the priory to be my sponsor because he'd called them up and said, well, "I'm not really sure, but I'll call the priory up because he'd you know been in and out the priory." They said, well, okay, if there's nobody on the island that can sponsor this lady, then you can do it. But it was so wrong. And I realized as a professional coach in neurolinguistic programming, and I turned around and said to him one day, wow, you're anchoring things on me and I'm feeling a little bit suicidal in thoughts. Wow. Yeah. And he called me up the next week because he himself was doing training courses to be a therapist. And he said, do you know what, Debbie, I can't sponsor you any longer. I went on my own journey, Elaine. <laughs> yeah. I went on the slow boat to China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there. So I was in and out of Al-Anon and um, very sadly ended up feeling very suicidal at times and very depressed. Not, not so much suicidal, but depressed at times because... Yeah. In the marriage, I didn't realize the deceit, the lies, the cheating, the, you know, in, it all started in our business, but it's, it's, it, it seeped into our personal life. And to the state of one of my husband's best friend committing suicide, and that really saddened my heart, and I felt a lot of blame and guilt up when that happened, because it was at the same time that we were going through this horrendous um, breakup. Uh, it was a second breakup because uh, we broke up in 2006 and 2009. I remember being one of the last, I suppose, friends in Europe that Rod spoke to. I have a beautiful olive tree in the front garden of my house and underneath it I have some of his ashes oh, that they brought back from Australia. And it, we didn't know that it was his second attempt. I was in such a depressed state myself and his addiction had become depression. Yes. What I have learned over the years is that when somebody becomes an addict, they usually then, especially with the substance addiction, they take it to another substance. So it could be 
it could be juicing in fact it was at one stage because yeah orange in color and people he even laughed and said people said if i got a donkey at home because i you know buy so many carrots he was just like the carotene his body had gone his color of his body was like carotene he then went from there into depression and and it was just so sad and none of his alcoholic friends could see it no you know which was sad, which was even sadder because they were all living in denial while I was in, enabling it. Whilst I was enabling the, the 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 binge drinker, the weekend binge drinker that I was living with, you know. So, it you know, I'm a really strong woman now to be able to come and talk about this. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, and I'm very proud of who I am now. And so yeah. you should be, because I know like me you've had those thoughts too elaine we've spoken about this i found a lot of people to especially you know just today i was on one of my 12-step program meetings and i actually spoke about what i was doing you know sharing this elaine on this podcast because if it hadn't have been for god then i would not be here right right and and that's part of why I wanted us to do this because people tend to just look at the surface of what they can see. You're a beautiful woman. You're a successful woman. You have a heart as big as Nelson. All of those things are wonderful, but the average person, that's all they see. They don't get to see that it doesn't matter who you are, what you have, how you think at large, it doesn't even matter that you have God in your life. There are times that we just get brought so low that we go to the, this dark place. I don't want to burden you. I think it's really important that we go right to how far you went so that our audience can understand there's always an option to choose life, always. Always. And also that there are communities out there yes. that have open hearts yeah. and hands and homes to take you in. Yeah. You know, I found... The journey I took, and I'll start with my um, journey in the church. Wherever I go around the world, and I'm a you know globe globe trotter traveler, mm -hmm. I'll go to church, and someone takes me home. <laughs> or in, you know, I went to Australia, and a, and a doctor said, "Hey, listen, I'll drop you home. I'm just going to nip home." And I, you know, she took me back to her home, and kangaroos were jumping around the back garden. You know, <laughs> this was actually when we went to see Rod um uh, in brisbane um you know i've i've found missionaries that come to my home on a regular basis that i give them a plate of food because of the work they do i'm, I'm not i'm i don't go to church every week elaine i'm not <laughs> but what i love is the community spirit yeah. and the and what that stands for and has stood for globally around the world, yes. that whole church community. What I found in Al-Anon 
non-profitable organization, you know, yeah. handing it over to that higher power. Now, in the program, it happens to be God, so that was really easy for me, yeah. okay? But it can be whatever higher power is for you. You know, when I did Tony Robbins' journey, you know, he used to say the same, you know, for me it's God, but for you it could be Buddha. It's just a higher power. And you, when you hand it over to that higher power and you get out of the way, you get out of the way. I can't fix other people. No, we can't. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'll go and save the world. I'll fix. I'll fix everything. You know, because I was actually running away from from fixing me. Absolutely. And life became chaos. You know, life became insane trying to fix everybody because yeah. I kept thinking there was something wrong with me. Because I was told brutal things, emotional, the emotional bullying that went on was incredible, yeah. you know. And I'm not going to go along there because I tolerated it. I played the game at the beginning. You know, I played the drinking game. <laughs> yeah. You know, I decided that it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for my family. It wasn't for my future. But the damage it did is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Because we're talking about the family disease here, family disease. Absolutely, absolutely. It's normalised. That's normalised in households, you know. Yeah. You know, and we're talking about all different substances. For me, it just happened to be, you know, it was Lois's problem with her husband. They managed to do the journey and help other people because they were wanting the same path. You know, that's not always what happens. <laughs> no, no. And, and it can be multi-generational. You continue what you knew and your parents continued what they knew. It only takes one person to choose something different, but they can only choose the difference for themselves. Once you make that choice, although we have no right to judge other people. We can reach out our hand when someone's looking. And that to me is the most important thing. And that's part of why I do this podcast. Because you can walk alongside people. And when and if they are ready, you're there. Always being ready to help whoever wants it. Absolutely. It's, um, and I love to share because I'm sure there may be just one person changing that one person's life today that may be listening, knowing that the first thing we have to do as the person who has the mental disease, okay, because there's the mental disease and there's the physical disease. Yeah. Being around all my life, a variety of things, security, variety, which is the insecurity. Yeah. My parents were members of the Writer Club of Great Britain Golfing Society, so they were always involved in children's charities of, yeah. for the disabled. Um, so I'd seen that as a young girl. I'd seen my father help his own cousin through alcoholism and it was all dad enabling. I now realize as I learned yeah. the program, dad was just enabling. Long to get along. 
you know, I give John another job. John never, you know, be drunk, couldn't get up for work, and it was, you know, the whole that was the whole family saw that. And I never thought about this until years. I thought there was never any alcoholism in our family. Like my mum and dad didn't drink. I'd actually, as a young girl, watch my dad enable my his own cousin taking care. I saw exactly the same with my first husband do the same for his own nephew, who's, who we sadly lost to alcohol poisoning in his 40s. You know, so it's kind of like this 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 dreadful disease yeah. that we have the mental disease because we want to fix them all. Absolutely. And not only that, we want to keep it in the family. That's why people go to these extra lengths. And that's the other thing. I, I want to rip the Band-Aid off. I want us to just forget the shame, forget the guilt, forget the, the blame. None of that matters. It's about, you know, taking onus for ourselves. Because when we do better, those around us see how we've changed and they can then make better choices absolutely absolutely one of the times where i felt the most guilt was when i went into a, a local boat shop for accessories and asked to buy a rope Let, let's just back up for a second because what was that that final straw that took you to that edge? What had happened that day or that week? Emotional abuse because of the ongoing conflict. It was the, it was the cause of two conversations. Yeah, and and again, it was um, emotional bullying in my business and also with a friend whose wife had left him for the same reasons. He was brutal to me emotionally, the emotional bullying going on with not going into detail because it's not about the detail. No. It's about, it's about how I reacted to it. Absolutely. No self-esteem again. Yeah. I, for years and years, you know, and I had friends turn around and say, you know, I've watched you, Debbie, and I watched at times where you let water off a duck's back. You know, I, I, I think I went on every course. I paid hundreds of thousands of pounds and euros out and dollars out, flew around the world doing course after course after course. If I get better, you know, this must be something wrong with me because I keep getting told, what you know, what a bimbo I am. To the audacity that when I actually separated the second time, he said to his church friend, who happened to be in charge of the Belgium Society here on the island, I want my bimbo wife back. Wow. Well, I didn't tell you that one, did I, Elaine? No. Oh, my God. Well, I don't know where he had her hidden because it certainly wasn't you. Wow. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, I've listened to this, you know, for years years and years and years like maybe within six months there was like a whole chain of things he, he was he was actually thrown in he was thrown in a jail 
for the night because of his drunkenness about a year into a separation. He, you know, there were so many things that happened, Elaine. The sad part was it was the alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Because disease. And I just couldn't, I didn't know how to handle the disease. Yeah. I'd got to a stage in my life, it was, I can't handle this anymore. No, no, it wasn't yours to handle. No, no, it was like, but I was enabling it. And, yeah. you know, and I, I still carried, I, I enabled it way into years of being divorced as well. Because yeah. we were tied, we were tied in business together. Well, not only that, but the children too. And the children and the grandchildren. Yes, yes. And the grandchildren. The lights of your life. The joy in my life. <laughs> yes, your joy, absolute. Your philanthropy is your passion and the grandkids are your joy. Absolutely. I so love that. That's such a, a good thing. Let's go back to the day in the boat shop. What was going through your head when you went into the boat shop? A vision that obviously everybody's going to be much better off without me. If I get out of the way, then everybody else will be fine without me. I just had this vision. And I don't want to explain the vision because it's an awful vision. Yeah. But I can still visualize going in and asking for that rope wondering how much I needed of this rope. I thought, well, when I get home, I'll look it up on the internet, how to do this. The man said to me at the desk, how much, do you, how, how long do you want it? And I wasn't really sure. I bought this huge amount of rope. And he said, well, what do you want it for? And that was the question that brought me back to the reality. Because I didn't want to lie to this man. And I felt guilty and I felt shame standing there. And I was thinking, does he know? Does he know? That was what the little voice in my head was saying. And then I said to him, oh, it's, it's for my boat. And I walked out of the shop with it and came home. But I think the fact that I'd lied to him and I didn't want to lie to him. I know this sounds ridiculous, but... No, it doesn't. It was like, I don't want to lie to this man. But I'd lied and I thought, do you know what? It's okay, I'm not perfect. God stepped in and yep. used that man to change your thinking totally. You're it now concentrating on the fact that you lied to somebody. He totally switched my mind. I'd lied to him. And, and it just made me feel guilty. Yeah. And I just thought, wow. And I came home. I threw the rope in the garage, in the back of the garage. Because that was such a selfish thing for me to do if I had have done that. But then, and I knew from that day that I would never do that. That was, the, that was the closest. I would never get myself into that position again. And now that we've gone way down that rabbit hole, I want you to share with people where you are today. Oh, wow. <laughs> and there's that megawatt smile. I am living my purpose. 
I know what my purpose is. I know what my passion is. I know what my talents are. I know what my skills are. Okay. They've got absolutely nothing to do with alcohol whatsoever. Because I even bought businesses, okay, and enabled my own children. And you know what? It's about forgiveness. It's about forgiving. I've forgiven myself because I I bought those businesses so that I could have a social life. I mean, what a stupid thing to do. Well, no, not at the time it wasn't. It worked, didn't it? It worked. Yeah, it did work. Yeah. It worked. Okay. That's... So we, we only do what we can when we can. You know, and, and when we know better, we do better. Well, you are living proof that people do better. What I've stopped doing is beating myself out about it. Either. Yes. Yes. What happens is we start to abuse ourselves in our mind. You know, because I would rather be alone than be in bad company. Well said. And it is about the environment that we choose. Yeah. You know, so I've got loads of friends on this beautiful island that have a drink problem. But they're not my problem. They're my friends. Yes, absolutely. It's not my place to fix them. And that's the journey I had to take to mind my own business and live my life how I wanted to live my life. And that's what I chose to do. Forgiving yourself was a huge part of that. I don't think you realize how how much that takes. When you have to throw your own children and your own family out of your own home and tolerate well, boundaries are important. Parents were quite strict, to tell you the truth, Elaine. Yeah. You know, they were they were old school, mum and dad. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. I always felt that when I grow up and have children, I'm not going to have yeah. all these boundaries in place. <laughs> yeah. Now I know why they had them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always was looking for that happily ever after end of the movie. I found it but I found it in me I didn't need to look for it with somebody else you know because you can go to one relationship to another relationship and another and another attracting the same kind of and you know why because you're taking the same you to each of those relationships I see that so often, Elaine, yeah. so often it's kind of, well, hang on a minute, you've just left that relationship to go into this relationship, yeah. you yeah. know. That's not going to be the answer. You've got to have that relationship with yourself for, that yes. you want to have with somebody else. And if you can have that relationship with yourself and love yourself because it all starts with loving you and that's yeah. what God teaches us to do. Absolutely. That's a hundred percent of the equation. When you are in a good relationship, you're not 50% of a relationship. You're a hundred percent of you in that relationship. 
And yeah, that's a very hard lesson to learn. When you reach that place, guess what turns up? Happiness. <laughs> happiness. When happiness is with you, you can aim for the joy. For the joy. Yes. yes. <laughs> Always. For that joy. Because the story's not over. No. The story's just in its infancy. There's so much more to aim for joy. That's such a good message for us to wrap up on is aiming for joy, I think, is the end-all, be-all. Because happiness is wonderful, but happiness can be fleeting. Joy is more anchored, if you will. It has yeah. more gravitas. I know you do, well, you do a lot of philanthropic work. Would you like to let us know what your passion project is? My passion project, my passion project has been working with some incredible women in South Africa during this pandemic. It is a for-profit organization. That's why it's social entrepreneurship that I am well read in well-skilled at teaching others to do. We work alongside and collaborate with charitable organisations too, global charitable organisations, so that it will be only entrepreneurs stop world hunger in this worldy lane. Yes, absolutely. And that's why I chose my partners very carefully, very proud of my partners. I've had this um, business marriage... <laughs> Yes. Oh, 25 years. It lasted longer than both of my other two marriages. So it's a third time lucky. So it's, there you it's, go. it's been a 25-year this April, just past wow. uh, relationship. And for the last 18 years, we've fed over 700 million meals to Mount Norris children around the world. Wow. Um, there's a whole huge amount of... Um, other things that we do alongside that yes. that, is, that is charitable globally around the world. We're publicly traded, my partners and I, in this partnership. From the day I started this partnership back in April 1996, I just felt at home. At the heart of what we do, even though it is only 5% of what we do, it's 95% the kind of professionals we attract to work with us and we've won awards business awards recently we just won another business award for the work we do that is sustainable you know yes. it's about sustaining the future not just to make a difference in the world but to sustain what we're doing to the planet yes absolutely and so we supply um, food bags that contain 25 essential vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients because children don't die of starvation they die of malnourishment. malnourishment. That's what they die of. When you see these big bellies, children, you know, in the pictures and the television, the newspapers, the magazines, that is malnourishment that these bellies yeah. are blowing out. That's what we do. We make sure that they get the right nutrition. And it's a it is a win-win situation for everybody that gets involved with us because many of these women that have been doing this with me in South Africa 
which is probably one of the hardest countries that the pandemic has hit. Yeah. It gives them an ability online to work and create, uh, putting food on their own table while putting food on right. the table yeah. of others in third world countries. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of what I've been doing. That's been quite a passion of mine during this uh, past year. The future, I feel, is that we will reach by the end of next year, a thousand million meals being served. That's that's the goal. Got yes. to always have a goal in life. <laughs> you have to have a goal, absolutely. Goal. And it's only a goal. It's, o- it's only a dream unless you put a date on it. We put this date together. We have to put a few more dates together and tell everybody yeah. where we are going to be in the clubhouse and what we're doing in the clubhouse, Elaine. Absolutely. We've decided that. Tuesdays at three o'clock Eastern time, we will be having our clubhouse room, which is called Suicide Zombies and Forgiving. There will be a new topic every week. In the podcast notes, there will be information about Debbie's passion project and uh, any links that you may need, as well as a little more information. I thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Debbie. I wish you all the joy in the world. And to our audience, make the very best of your today, every day. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Elaine. feel really blessed to have been here with you. Thank you. Brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let's get you on page one.